what the Lord has really drawn my attention to more than anything is worship. That's the one thing for certain that's in there. There's all kinds of things that we can suspect these creatures are and these beasts and the 24 elders and all that. And it's, and it's all quite interesting. I think we've come up with some plausible things. But the bottom line today is I want us to be encouraged and to realize that we study Revelation for a couple of reasons. One reason is we study it is because we want to be encouraged to live lives of holiness that are pleasing to the Lord where we're ready at any moment for him to come back. Amen? Amen. Amen? And secondly, it should prompt us and give us an urgency to not hide the bread from the other beggars. Amen. Meaning to, you have the key to eternal life, and it's Jesus. You don't, Larry, but Jesus does. And uh, I looked over at Larry when I said that. But, but you know, we, have, we should have an urgency. I, why are we reluctant to share the greatest treasure that we all have? Amen? I mean, that's what we have that's really of value. Uh, we start off really with this picture that was from last week, and this is the imagery that we saw. We saw some being on the throne, and it was surrounded with an emerald rainbow is how John describes it, and there was there was uh, topaz and sardius. The sardius is the red, like a ruby. And, and John sees these four creatures. There's a lion and an ox, and there's a a human face and there's an eagle and 24 elders are around this throne and he says and he speaks in the present they continue worshiping day and night so they're in worship and it made me think about what I can take out of this is that my life should be an instrument of worship uh, it should be an instrument of worship whether I'm uh, encouraging someone I'm speaking truths of God whether you Weezy and I are engaged in a conversation about how good God is, how great is our God. That's all worship. And we confuse thinking worship is only when I've got my hands up and I'm praising God, which is worship and thanksgiving, but worship's way, way bigger than that. Amen. And the reason we know that it is is because God gave us a word in Hebrew, avodah. Avodah means three things. It means worship, it means service, and it means just labor, like menial labor. So when we do a menial task, but we're doing it as unto the Lord, thinking of whoever cleaned the dishes today after someone else had done a service of creating breakfast, if this is all done for God's glory, it is worship. Amen. And what we do and what we think and what we say and how we live and how we love and how we read and how we talk, all of that becomes worship when we get our eyes off of ourselves and our own perspective and we put them on the Lord. That's what I've gotten out of this study of Revelation 4 and 5. Sandy and I have had many discussions. She's talked through this in detail uh, twice now over the past 20 years to folks, and she's been a great encouragement and a help to me. Next week, as I said, we'll go into the four horses of the apocalypse, which is fascinating to me because I'm interested in the topics and I love horses. So it's kind of fun for me to even get into that. A couple in the church gave me four books that I read during my little outing to Bolivar on these four horsemen. So we're going to talk about it in general terms next week, and then I might pick some stuff out of it that's quite interesting to me. But this morning, the big question to be answered is, who is worthy to open the scroll? I found this on Google. This looks like those scrolls. Sandy and I were over on the island of Patmos. Anybody in here been to Patmos? A few have, and you remember you go up to that cave, and Mike, you remember when you come out, that guy or that lady's there selling all these scrolls that look like this. 
And they're a scroll that is of the whole book of Revelation. Uh, I didn't buy one. I kind of wish I had. I didn't know Greek at the time. But uh, anyway, the scroll has seven seals. And as we know without with great certainty that seven is God's perfect number. He made the earth in seven days. He actually made it in six days and rested on the seventh. But there's many, many things. And we're going to talk today about a little bit about numerology, which in the Hebrew mind is called gematria. And gematria means that every, every, uh, every letter that is in the Hebrew language is also a number. Did y'all know that? Which is kind of interesting. So we're going to talk about the four and the 24 and some thoughts that I have here. Open God's word to Revelation chapter 5, verse 1, and read along with me. Or if you don't have your Bible, you can look up on this. And I'm going to kind of make commentary as I go along today, do it a little bit differently. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Again, it's this nebulous being that's there on the throne that John can't quite recognize, you know. And I, I think of it as the Father. You know, we know that we uh, that worship the Father, that he's a spirit. We worship him in spirit and in truth. That he sat on the throne, and, and, and I saw in his right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back. A right hand is uh, referred to in the Bible. It's the hand of strength. It's the arm of God. It's the arm of strength. And John's saying, and I saw this, this righteous, this powerful, this all-powerful hand there on the throne holding this thing, this scroll, and note that it's written on the inside and on the back. And uh, I think that's interesting because there's no room left on the scroll. It's written all on the front. It's written all on the back. And it reminds me of that those verses at the end of Revelation that says that we're to add nothing to the Word of God nor take anything from the Word of God. So the scroll is complete, and it's there inside and out. And it's sealed, as I said before, with seven seals, which is God's perfect number. This is God saying, this is my testimony of the things to come. Remember, John's talked about the things that were, the things that are, were the letters that went out to the seven churches. Wow, I feel excited today. I don't know what happened just right now. And then these are the things to come. These are the things, brothers and sisters, that I contend, hopefully, most of us in here won't live to see these things. Because if you don't know the Lord, you're going to be left to see all this. So you're going to get, in the next few weeks, a great panorama of how miserable your life will be when we're all gone. Judy's laughing. But that's the truth, Judy. And it's an encouragement to us that we're not going to have to live through those things. Seven seals, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. So who is this strong angel? The scripture doesn't tell us who this strong angel is, and I've been very careful to not expound and say, I read these articles, and one guy said, the strong angel is Satan. I thought, gosh, that doesn't ring right in my heart. Someone else, it's Gabriel or Michael the archangel. You know what? We don't know who the strong angel is, but we know that there's a strong angel, and what is an angel but a messenger? So let's just say this powerful messenger is there, and this powerful messenger is giving us a message. And what is the message? Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? He's saying, guys, there's nobody here that can open this. John's been commanded to tell of the things that will be, to write down the things that will be, and yet he can't even look into the scroll because there's no one worthy to open the scroll. And no one in heaven... On, or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So John's distraught. In verse 4, he says, I wept much 
all right? He's grieved, Julia, because there he is wanting to know about the things to come, and yet there's no one worthy to open this little scroll and to tell him what, what it says in it. He says, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to even look at it. But one of the elders said to me, don't weep. John, don't cry. Don't, don't be upset because the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. How did the, tri the lion of Judah and the root of David, how did it prevail to open the scrolls? <clears throat> Guys, he prevailed over death. Amen. When Jesus rose again from the dead, he gives us assurance and hope, as I said, and I know I'm kind of sometimes salty and some of y'all may don't, not like it. We're not just going to end up worm dirt, okay? If you don't know what worm dirt is, go buy worms down at the Whitehall store. We have a future and a destiny in heaven, each of us that have come to know the Lord. And he says, the lion of, of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed and opened the scroll to loose its seven seals. I want to talk for a minute because in the early days of my ministry here at the Grove, we had a Jewish rabbi that was a believer that would come and speak to us. And he really impacted a lot of us. And one thing he said, he said, he said, never forget that Jesus is the Lion of Judah. Amen. He said, but never forget he's the Lamb of God. Amen. And through the course of a sermon, he would say 20 or 30 times, he is the Lion of Judah, but he's the Lamb of God. And he said, it reminds us that sometimes we need to be more like a lion. We're timid and we're quiet and we're lambs when we really ought to be lions. He said, and sometimes you need to be a lion when you're acting like a lamb. I know this, this old Scotch-Irish me uh, did a lot of that in my earlier days until the Lord began to melt my heart and teach me when to be a lion and when to be a lamb. I just yeah. thought that was a cool thing to bring up and remember. So what is this whole business? Where do we get this idea that Jesus is the lamb of, of the lion of Judah? Anybody know? It's one of my favorite scriptures in the entire Bible. Gosh, I keep saying that, and there's a lot of them. It's Jacob's prophecy. I keep saying, this is my favorite verse, all right? I'm sorry, y'all. I'm that way. If you've ever had dinner with me, I might say, this is the best fried chicken I've ever had. And at that moment, it really is, okay? In this moment right now, this is the greatest verse to me in the Bible. Jacob prophesies concerning Judah. And he says these words, and, and I wondered for years what it's going to mean about Shiloh. He says, Judah is a lion's whelp. And they're all going, what? Judah is? Judah, the ultimate bad guy here in this family who's done all this horrible stuff, the other brothers are thinking, because God had a plan bigger than Judah's bad behavior. And Judah is redeemed, and Judah becomes the head of the Jewish people. That's where we get this whole word Jew. It's from the tribe of Judah. He says, Judah is a lion's well. From the prey, my son, you've gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as the lion, who will rouse him? Who's going to wake up a lion? And then listen to what he prophetically says. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. That word Shiloh interested me for 30 to 40 years. I wondered, what does Shiloh mean? Anybody in here ever wondered what Shiloh means? You think it means something with Shalom and it doesn't. All right, that's a, that's a false chaser there. He says, the scepter, that's the power of the world, the power of the universe will not depart from Yehuda, from Judah, 
nor a lawgiver from between his feet. That's talking about his loins. He said there's going to come out of what's between Judah's legs here, that, that's his loins, is going to be forever this order of rulers and priests and kings, okay? Imagine the other brothers listening. And when will this happen? Until Shiloh comes. What is Shiloh? What is Shiloh? Y'all say, well, it's a song that, uh, uh, what's his name saying? Shiloh when I was young. Neil Diamond. Neil Diamond, yeah, right? Shiloh means unto whom it belongs. So what Jacob is saying that there's a scepter that's coming out to be given to all the people that will be in the line of Judah, all right? And it'll happen until unto whom it belongs comes along. And who is it unto whom it belongs? It's Jesus. So Jacob's prophesying of him unto whom it really belongs. Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he will rest, rule, and reign here on earth forever and ever and ever. Well, of course, there'll be a new earth, but I mean, I'm just saying that's coming. And to him shall be the obedience of, his, of the people. And then he goes on and he talks about this root, this rod from the stem of Jesse. I wanted to comment on this a bit. A, a branch in Hebrew is netzer. Netzer is where the word Nazareth comes from. So this root comes out of Jesse, the stem, and where does he grow up? He grows up in the stem place, all right? Isn't God amazing? My, my neighbor, Skip Cronstitz, often says, how odd of God to say these kinds of things. How wonderful of God to show us these secrets from his word. There will come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. A branch, that's that same word, Netzer, shall grow out of his roots. And then the seven spirits of God that we keep hearing about in Revelation, I've said you can't really understand Revelation unless you're referring back to the Old Testament. The spirit of God will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom, a spirit of understanding, a spirit of counsel, a spirit of might, Barbara, a spirit of knowledge, and a spirit of fear of the Lord. Anyway, this is pretty exciting. I don't want to spend any more time on that. And then John looks up and he says, I look, verse 6, behold, in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, how many elders were there? Twenty-four stood a lamb as though it had been slain. So he sees this lamb up, lamb up there with a wound in it. And that made me stop and wonder. And I wondered, you know, when we get to heaven, do you think that we'll still see the wounds that Jesus suffered on the cross? Yeah. Why do you say that? Because I believe we will. Because the but, yeah, when he, when he showed up, he had them. Remember, Thomas put his hands in his wounds. So he's going to still bear the marks, and we'll know that forever and ever. He said, stood this lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns, that's seven power, seven eyes, and which are the seven spirits. We just read what these spirits were in Isaiah. Of God sent out into all of the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne, all right? And I just pulled up this really interesting painting. This was called the most desired painting in history. I learned that. It's, it says it was by a guy named Jan van Eyck, completed in 1432, and it's his altarpiece rendering of this whole scene going on. I thought that was kind of neat, seeing how it's almost 600 years old, you know. But anyway, uh, I want to talk just a bit about these 
uh, if we go to verse 8, now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the throne. I told you a couple of weeks ago, I didn't really know what to do about these four creatures or these 24 elders. One thing it might mean, I went to a Jewish website, it's the Gematria website, and on that website, it says that four is the Gematria number, the Jewish Hebrew traditional number for complete. All right, there's four seasons to the year. It's complete, okay? 24 is the number which means judgment. Isn't that interesting? So here they are worshiping, but maybe there's a, a double meaning in here that we are fixing to, as we would say in Texas. That means we're getting ready to. We are fixing to see the complete judgment of God on the earth in these chapters that follow. Wow. And it's the, it's the judgment of the unbelieving Jew and Gentile that are in the world. And the purpose is to bring people to Christ. They fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp. Harp is worship, okay? And golden bowls full of incense. And I thought, how interesting. And I remember reading in the Old Testament that the incense represented the prayers of the saints. Have y'all heard that? And it says it right here, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. So why is he deemed worthy? The scripture tells us in continuing in this same verse, for you were slain. You have redeemed us to God by your blood and out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, you have made us, and the Greek says a kingdom, it doesn't say kings, you have made us a kingdom and priest to our God and we shall reign on earth. I thought about this, and I thought about the fact that what makes him worthy is we, we see in these scriptures back from chapter 4 was that he was the creator of all things. By him, all things were created. That's what we sang today when we sang, Thou art worthy, O Lord, okay? The second reason is that he was slain, and he has brought us back by his blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. If you're a pro person and who has a problem with racism and you think maybe the race that you are is maybe better than other races, you've got a real problem with God because he says right here that he has redeemed every tribe, every tongue, and the peoples of all the nations and has made us a kingdom. We're working in the kingdom of God now. This morning, this is what we're doing. And we are priests. That means not so much that we're the connection, but we are a we're the ones that are out proclaiming the truth of God and the goodness of God and the reality of reality. Y'all follow me? That's our job right now in this planet Earth that seems to be crazy about what is and what isn't. That's part of our job. He says, and we shall reign on the earth. Verse 11. Then I looked and I heard of the voice of many angels. I thought this was fun. I did some math. Don't get out your calculator right now. I'm going to see who knows the answer. Around the throne, those living creatures we just talked about, the four, the 24 elders, the elders, and the number of these others were 10,000 times 10,000. Quick, what does that equal? You're too smart. You need to leave. No. Just teasing. That's my son on the back. Stay right there. It is 100 million. I, I had to look it up on my calculator. Some of us that are smarter don't have to. So there's 100 million of these other angels around the throne, I guess, of all these people, the number of them was 100 million. And thousands of thousands. It says, hey, it's more than I can count. We're out there. 
And what were they saying with a loud voice? What did they say? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under, this, under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying. What did he hear them saying? What were they all saying? What do we all say? Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne to the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said amen and the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. Amen. So that's the end of our chapter. So I want to talk now about this picture we've had of worship. I want us to really leave here understanding how can we incorporate real worship into our lives. I, that's for those who need to see it written down. Avodah is a word, and it means worship, service, and labor in the Hebrew language. How odd of God that he picked one word that means all of these three things. We use three different words, and I think it's God telling us, I want your labor, your menial labor, your washing of the dishes, your washing of the horse, your doing whatever is menial, I want that to be an act of worship, where your eyes are no longer on yourself, but they're on me. And then service to others, okay? And then, of course, worship in the traditional sense of what we're doing when we're singing corporate worship together. This caused me to think of my daddy. My dad, Scott knew my dad, some of y'all knew my dad. My dad believed there were things out in the earth that were praise prompters, all right? Things that prompted us to praise. Y'all ever seen any praise prompters? Amen. Have you seen some this morning? Amen. If you hadn't, open your eyes. Amen. I mean, praise prompters are all around us. You go outside and you look at a leaf, and I remember from 10th grade biology, and my son Faber might have to correct me, but I think the underside of every leaf has all these little openings under there called stoma or something like that. This is a miracle. That plant sits there and it takes in carbon dioxide and it produces oxygen that keeps us all alive. Guys, that is a praise prompter. And then the famous one that, that Scott's always saying, Lord, when we look at it, we see photosynthesis. And that came from a conversation that we learned of, of my dad with a good friend of me and Scott's who this, this friend drank himself into his death, but he had given up on God. He never believed in God, rejected God. And my dad urged him, he says, just Joe, look at photosynthesis. How can this happen and it not be a God who is a divine architect who makes this work? And I'm saying this to anyone in here who might be an unbeliever. You've got a lot of faith if you're an unbeliever. You've got more faith than all of us in this room to think there was not a divine architect that put all of that green together. It is incredible if you look at these things that are praise prompters. Dad would say to me, son, just think about DNA, that everything that made you, Jana, who you are, is written into every single cell of your body. Amen. Guys, give him praise and glory. Amen. I mean, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, do you? <laughs> There is no way. There is a divine architect who, who made all of this and he put it together in his way and it is perfect in every way. Yes, Lord. It's in balance. Another way that we see a picture of worship is declaring truth like I've just done. So you can worship Paul going out into the yard and you see that bird fly across or even better yet a butterfly. 
Any of y'all ever wondered how a butterfly flies? I wonder how a butterfly flies. It's not very aerodynamic, Susanna. I don't get it. And we got a couple of pilots in this room. You tell me how a butterfly flies. That, that's kind of a tongue twister, really. But anyway, when we sing of the attributes of the Lord, we declare his truths, guys, that is worship. And then here's seven quick ways, worship through music, which we did today. Oh, I sensed beautiful worship this morning. Why? Because we were getting our eyes off of ourselves and onto him. It wasn't because we really did it well. It's because we realized how well he really did it. <laughs> oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth, all of Union Grove Baptist Church of Whitehall. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Proclaim the good day of his salvation from day to day. Guys, proclaim it. If you believe it, say it. Amen? Amen. Declare his glory among the nations and his wonders among all the peoples. Stop sitting on the praise that God deserves. Amen. Secondly, we worship when we pray. Let my prayer be set forth before you as incense, says David talking. <laughs> the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice, Psalm 141.2. You know, I never get uptight when I see people lifting their hands. I, some pastors get all upset or excited or anything. The Bible's clear. Lifting of my hands is an evening sacrifice. My praise and my prayers to God, that they would go up like incense to him. That what I do, Pastor Larry, would put a smile on God's face. Amen. That is holiness and living. We can worship through that praise, thanksgiving, adoration, adoring, the recognition of God's presence in our life. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. We know that song. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Get out on a tractor, cut your hay, Mike Davenport, and you start singing praise songs, and you're going to be amazed where that takes you. Amen. Amen. There will be a door open to heaven. You're going to walk right through that door. I know because I've been through that door. Amen? <laughs> I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. We can worship through the study of God's Word. That's what we're doing right now. We're studying God's Word. God's Word tells us that the law of the Lord, you can substitute Torah or instruction of the Lord. Use that for law. The instruction of the Lord is perfect. It converts your soul, doesn't it? Amen. When you read God's Word, Ricky, it brings about changes in your heart. The testimonies of the Lord are sure. That means you can put your faith in what God says. Yeah. It makes even the wise, me, all right? It makes the wise, the simple. It makes wise the simple. It can make those of us who are simple wise. The statutes, that means the rules and laws and regulations, and not only that, the instructions of the Lord, okay, are right. And they rejoice the heart. When you're walking in holiness, you're walking in your identity in Christ, guys, there is a rejoicing of the heart that takes place. Amen. If your heart is not enjoy they just say lord i repent of the fact that i'm not cluing in on these things that are prompt should prompt me to praise okay and he says the commandments of the lord are pure they enlighten the eyes they're going to wake you up and they endure forever they're true and righteous and then this they're more to be desired than gold i quoted this a couple of weeks ago yea than much fine gold sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb I think one of the greatest joys I have as a pastor is it has bound me to the Word of God where I have to be in the Word daily or I don't end up knowing what God's trying to say to me through scriptures to pass on to you. Amen. 
I guess God had to chain me to that in order to show me how much he loves me. But you don't have to be chained. It's like honey in the honeycomb. If you've never had honey in the honeycomb, go get you some at the farm patch or down at Diorio's or somewhere. When we drive up through Appalachia, I've told you one of the first things we do when we get up in the mountains, I stop, look at all their jars, and I say, which one has honeycomb in it? And they'll tell me, well, these do right here, with them, but they're $2 more. I want three jars of that. And I actually literally eat it in the car as we, I drop <laughs> my way through the rest of the way home. That's how precious God's word should be to us. Amen. We want to eat it. We want it to become inward, let it digest it, be part of us, and come out in all of our actions, our words, and our deeds. Amen? Amen. Sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. We can worship God in silence. I've not been very silent this morning. Remembering the great truths of God. I like that. Remembering the great truths of God. You worship God when you go back in time and you say, Lord, you were faithful to me in this thing when I thought you had forgotten me. And Lord, you didn't. And I'm not going to recount all the things I've had that have done that. We've all had our own share of woes, haven't we? But the Lord was there. He had your hand. He took you through every step of that. And you are where you are today now because of his grace yes, and his mercy. He says, but these things I've told you, that Jesus had told his disciples, that when the time comes, you can remember that I told you of them. That's one reason we still try, even when we're older folks, to remember God's word. Some of y'all were showing me the other day where you're writing a verse that used to maybe be written four or five times. Now we need to write it four or five hundred times to just begin to understand and remember how it goes, right? Yeah. We worship God through giving. Listen to me now. We don't give to get. We give to worship. Boy, they won't tell you that on the television programs, will they? You know, I heard someone say, you send... Someone was talking about him saying, send me $100 and God will bless you with 1000 Well, why don't you send him 100 and then let him bless me with 1000 right? We don't give to get. We give as part of our worship. It should be worshipful where when you write a check or you put the little bit you have or whatever, it's between you and the Lord. You know what? God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need what you have, but you need what he has. And when you give, you're giving back saying, Lord, I know that that what I have is from you. It's a, it's, a, it's a way of submitting yourself to him. Where Jesus said it well, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Am I speaking on giving? No, I'm speaking on worship. Don't leave here if you're visiting for the person. I went in there and they talked about money. I'm talking about worship in the way that anything you do in your life, the words that you use, the things that you do, the potatoes that you dig, whatever you're doing, do it heartily as unto the Lord. We worship God as we serve others. Got a couple more slides and we're done. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. All right, so we're called to liberty. We're called to live a life that's free in Christ. Don't use your liberty as opportunity for the flesh. What is our liberty for? It's, to, it's through love to serve one another. We are to love one another, take care of one another. We're to love all men, but especially the household of faith. That's what Paul tells us. For all the law, that's all the instruction of God is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is Paul writing the church in Galatia. How quickly we forget 
that it really is about love. Amen. It's about loving him so much that I get my eyes off of me and I can love you as he wants me to love you. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's what we do as a, as a church, as a church family. <clears throat> Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you've created all things, and for thy pleasure they are created. Thou art worthy, O Lord. That's the first thing we sang right before this. That was the last verse of chapter 4. God is telling us that it does our souls good to give him glory and honor. It, it, it gives us, and you think, what has he got written up there? I love this. I taught this. If you weren't in the church, it's Bereshit, bara Elohim, et Hashemayim, Vayet, ha Edits. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That word created right here, bara. Says, this is Bereshit, that means in the beginning, created Elohim, God, the heavens and the earth okay but that word means to create out of nothing nobody can create something out of nothing but god Amen. i watched this youtube thing the other day and this guy was arguing that the big bang and the big bang made the world and he said <clears throat> and he said a little statement in there he said there was matter that existed well wait a minute matter existed who made the matter and then i thought well if there's matter that existed and it all blew up. Who lit the match? Who made the thing explode? You always get back to God. You see, guys? Because he's in evidence everywhere. The only way you're not seeing him is if you're blind to logic, if you're blind to reality. There's also a word in Hebrew, asah. And that means to make or mold out of something that exists before, out of raw materials, to, to make a pot, okay, or do this sort of thing. God created everything out of nothing and this passage today and last week tell us and for that reason alone he is worthy to be praised i don't have anything more to add than that